So we have been in the book of Haggai. Cool, tell you what. Haggai, in between Zechariah and Zephaniah. There you go. If you've got a Bible or a phone, do you want to turn it open to Haggai? Who's read Haggai recently? Not me. Well, I have because I've been studying. But like, it's not exactly one of those books that you read a lot, eh? But it's fab. It's such a good book. Forgive me if I get a bit excited about Haggai when I talk about it because there's such good stuff in it. And it's tiny. If you've never read it before, it's about two pages in my Bible. So... We've been uh, doing Haggai for three weeks now, so I need to fill you in with what's been going on. Because if you actually just uh, turned, turned into your Bible and go, well, just read Haggai today, unless you've got some incredible biblical knowledge, you might not really have a clue what's going on. Um, so you wouldn't know what the mood was of the time or what the backstory was or anything. So I'm going to give you a bit of context. So... Let me tell you a little bit about the mood, a bit of background from last week. So Haggai was written and the people were all pretty much disheartened. They were disappointed. They were, um, they kind of just hoped that they'd be in a better place than they were. You know, they thought that their life would be better than it was right now. I think we can relate to that sometimes. You know, you might have thought you'd met the love of your life by now and you haven't. Or... You've met the love of your life and you thought it might be better than it is. <laughs> or um, you've got a job and you're like, mm, yeah, it's okay. That's kind of the mood that Haggai was written in. And unbelievably, 500 years before Jesus, like they feel the same things, obviously, that we feel today. So I'm going to give you a bit of a backstory so that you know what's going on. So there's a massive temple that's been built by a guy called Solomon. So I don't know why I'm going over here. It's a timeline in my head. Timeline. Here's Solomon's built this huge, amazing, massive temple. And it is pretty mind-blowing how incredible this temple is. People came from like all over the world to see it, to worship at it, and literally just to like gaze at it because it was so magnificent. I don't even think we have anywhere similar today that would even compare but it is incredible so Solomon built this temple but then when he died um, people started to turn away from God and they found other things to worship and yeah so things changed a little bit and then about 587 BC for you historians this huge Babylonian army invaded Judah which is the, the south bit of uh, the southern bit of Israel and uh, its capital Jerusalem so the whole of the city was annihilated by the Babylonians and they devastated this temple this incredible temple that was just so beautiful and key to the the Jewish people and not only did they devastate the temple and the the city they basically carted everybody off with them so they took all the Jewish people captive for 50 years and so for 50 years last week um i kind of got you to put your hands up to see if you're under 50 is that embarrassing for people can we just do that like if you're if you're under 50 put your hand up so okay 
All you've ever known, if you were the Jewish people, all you've ever known is captivity. Can you imagine that? So you can't go where you want, you can't worship where you want, you can't do anything that you want because you've been in captivity like all your life. And so the ones over 50, they're just like, oh, do you remember that? Do you remember the temple? Do you remember the, oh, when were they, well, the temple was incredible. And if you're under 50, you just would have stories. So you can imagine that the, re the relief almost and the sense of excitement and hope when they were allowed, this remnant of people were allowed to go back to Jerusalem to rebuild their homeland. So under the governor Zerubbabel, about 50,000 or so people went back to rebuild this city. And their first priority was, right, we're going to build the temple. So they start building the temple. They get the foundation in place. They get everything sort of going. And then they get a bit of opposition from the Samaritans next door. Well, when I say, <laughs> I don't mean next door, like there. And um, so they're opposing them. And the Jewish people, they kind of just give up. They're like, it's too hard. It's just too difficult. So for 14 years, they have been building this altar and like the foundations of this new temple. And then the temple, they just gave up building. So it sat there with no, no progress and it's unfinished. And this is when Haggai enters the story. So he's a prophet and God raises him up to kind of bring the people back to task. That's such a teacher phrase, isn't it? Sorry about that. They were, they were on task. They were coming back on task. Um, so this is where we left it last week. Um, God had said to the, um, God had used Haggai to go um, to the Jewish people and he'd said, you know, do the hard right thing over the easy wrong thing because they'd just given up on building the temple and they had just decided to build their own houses instead. And they made their houses really fancy and nice, you know, granite worktops, amazing TVs, everything. They had, the, they had the thing going down and they'd forgotten about the temple. So Haggai comes in and goes, come on, this is what God says. And God was so sweet, sweet, kind. And um, <clears throat> he goes, I'm going to make it easy for you. I'm going to break it down into three steps. These are the things I want you to do. Go to the mountains, chop down the timber, and build my house. <coughs> Sorry. Go up to the mountain, bring down the timber, build my house, build my temple. So they're like, okay, okay, I think we can do that. And that's where we left it last week. So I know that all week you have been desperate to find out whether they did it. Did they come down from the mountains, bring down the timber, and start building the temple, or did they not? <gasps> Have you been in suspense all week? <laughs> Maybe not. Well, it's good news and bad news. The good news is they did start rebuilding the temple. So let's pick it up from verse 12, chapter 1. Here we go. I think I'm in the way, so I'm just going to move this way. So the good news is Zerubbabel, here he is. He's got lots of big words. So he leads the way. Zerubbabel, son of oh, Shealtiel, Joshua, son of, did I? Thank you. Joshua, son of Josadak, the high priest, and the whole remnant of the people obeyed the voice of the Lord, hooray, their God, and the message of the prophet Haggai, because their Lord, their God, had sent him. So just pausing for a second there. 
So there's three main characters, High Priest, Joshua, and the um, kind of the governor, the ruler of the Jewish people. He's called Zerubbabel. It's a great name. And I read that and I went, great, they've started building again. How did God get them to build again? What did he do? Like, they've said, yes. Yeah. So he sent in Haggai and he says, start building again. I'm like, what did, what did God do? So we get a clue in verse th- 13. Then Haggai, the Lord's messenger, gave this message of the people of the Lord to the people. I am with you, declares the Lord. So the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, son of Josadak, the high priest, and the spirit of the whole remnant of the people. They came and began to work on the house of the Lord Almighty, their God, on the 24th day of the sixth month. So basically everyone gets back on board. And how did God do it? Well, he, he stirred up their spirit. This is what it says in verse 14. He stirs up their spirit. He stirs up the spirit of Zerubbabel, um, the spirit of Joshua, and the spirit of the whole remnant of the people. And I was thinking, what does that actually mean? You know, when you stir up the spirit of somebody, what does that, what does that actually mean? And I think it's like a, it's like a gut thing. You know, if you've just been compelled ever to do something or um, you just know you've got to do something. And I think that happens to us today. A time when, you know, it's like this, we'd say in Yorkshire, an unction. You know what I mean? Like a, like an unction. Have you heard that word? <laughs> and I reckon we could go around the room, actually, and you could probably tell an example of how God's just like put something in you, like stirred up your spirit for something. Maybe it's like to forgive somebody of something or maybe something to invest in or somebody to invest in. It might be that he's given you an unction to stop doing something or to start doing something. That's what's going on here. He's, he's, he's almost put this divine assignment in the hearts and minds and in the spirit of Zerubbabel, Joshua and the whole of the people. So they do it. So far, so good. Happy days. The people are stirred in their spirits. They've heard and they've obeyed the word of the Lord. All seems hunky-dory. Let's rebuild this temple. As Ben says, crack on. And then how long do you think goes by until they maybe give up? How long do you think? So the first, they gave up after 14 years last time. What do you think? Less than 14 years? One month. They do it again for one month. And then they're like, yes, we can do this. We can do this. We can do this. And then all of a sudden, everybody's just discouraged. We can do this. We can do this. Ugh, I've given up. So one month later, work on the temple stops again. Which also makes me question, like, why? What happened this time? Was it some kind of <coughs> coronavirus thing going on? Am I allowed to say that? Or was there some, like, natural disaster? Or what was this big deal that after a month they, they gave up? It was actually something um, a wee bit more powerful and subtle than that that actually stopped them from building. It was comparison, Can you believe that? 
Comparison stopped them from building. Comparison stopped them from carrying on. Comparison crept in, which then led to like this deep discouragement and just disappointment. So what were they comparing to? Well, let's find out. Let's see. Chapter two, first one. On the 21st day of the seventh month, so the previous verse said on the 24th day of the sixth month, so it's actually less than a month, just to be, you know, accurate. The word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai, speak to Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, to Joshua, son of Josadak, the high priest, and to the remnant of the people. Ask them, and here it is, here's the source of their comparison and discouragement. Who of you is left who saw this house in its former glory? How does it look to you now? Does it not seem to you like nothing? So in other words, he's saying to the people, who is old enough to remember Solomon's temple? Wasn't it amazing? He's saying, you're looking at what you've built so far. And all you're thinking about is this amazing temple beforehand. All you're, you're looking at your um, foundations and your altar and you're thinking, oh, do you remember Solomon's temple? Oh, do you remember people from like all over the world used to come and like gaze at this amazing temple? You see, I think the people are doing the same thing that we actually often do. They're comparing their start with somebody else's finish. Have you ever done that? You compare your start with somebody else's finish? They just started. Their temple doesn't look very good. And yet they're thinking, oh, do you remember that one? Oh, Solomon's temple was so much better than mine. And I don't know about you, but I get incredibly discouraged a lot of the time when I just start comparing where I am or what I'm doing or what I think or whatever with other people. Do you, do you know, do you ever do that? Or are you just way too holy? <sighs> Comparison's a, a crippling thing. It might be that you've thought in the past or are currently thinking, well, he's, he's just got a great job. They always just seem to have so much money. Or they've got an amazing car or a fantastic house. Or it might be with your children. That adds a whole other dimension to the comparison thing. She's got so many invites to other people's parties. She's so popular or he's so clever. Oh, I wish my son was better at reading or whatever. Gosh, as teachers, we've seen it all, I'm sure. But like as parents, we feel it as well. It's a daft example, I know, but with, <laughs> with my um, two boys, um, everyone in primary school, when they were in primary school, they all had like the, the most amazing birthday cakes. I mean like incredible birthday cakes. And they'd, was it before Instagram? It was pre-Instagram, wasn't it? But like, I don't even know how I found out about all of them, but they just like, yeah, Facebook was around, wasn't it? They just had like, oh, they'd spent like a whole week doing the thing and like the bits on the top. And anyway, so, um, <clears throat> so I think I managed one. So Sam's first birthday, I stayed up until midnight to make the cake. <laughs> it wasn't even that good. It was like in the shape of a one. That was always just cutting up, you know, the 
bits of sponge and then I shoved loads of fondant stuff on top and put loads of smarties on top and it took me to, to me hours to knit and um I was just why why am I even doing this Sam's one he doesn't even know he doesn't even care and I quickly realized that I had to ditch the idea that I could be the perfect mother who made the perfect cakes and I am proud to say I resorted to the wonderful creation that is Colin the Caterpillar <laughs> thank you for the next 17 years Never to be repeated on that. Oh. Comparison comes in all shapes and sizes. Um, comparison over relationships? That's a tricky one, hey? You look at someone's marriage or their friendship or their family <coughs> and you can just find yourself longing for something that you see in their marriage or, or in their friendships or your... You know, you just see something in other people and you're like, oh, I wish I had that. And then like this disappointment creeps in and discouragement like creeps in. Then you think, oh, I'm trying my best. I'm trying my best. And I'm not really at that. I want that. And that's exactly how the Jewish people feel in this story of Haggai. They're like, I'm not even sure it's worth it. I'm not even sure I've got anything left to give in this relationship or I'm just done with apologizing all the time. I'm constantly apologizing or we're just bickering all the time. They never bicker. I never see them arguing with each other. I'm done. I'm like, I'm done with whatever it is. And you just want to almost like give up because something that you see in someone else kind of has this way of just um it's like it highlights our own insecurities because like you see that and you're like oh I don't have that there's just no win in comparison especially if then you think oh I'm just going to go on Instagram to make myself feel better I was writing this in a coffee shop um just over the road actually on Thursday and I got chatting to this lady about um got chatting to this lady um, working next to me and uh, I was asking her about comparison and what she thought and like how does it affect her and everything we got chatting about church and um, you can imagine I was loving every minute of it um, she said that she decided to delete Instagram from her life because she recognized that she felt she was going on social media to kind of make herself feel better but what happened was it seemed like Instagram, Facebook, whatever, was affirming her misery, she put it. It just affirmed what she thought about herself anyway. So I'm feeling really rubbish. I'm comparing myself to those people. I'm just going to go on Instagram just to make sure, you know, why not? And then, oh, I feel even worse now. So she said, what do you, I asked her if I could quote her. She said, it might be that I'm in a bubble and not knowing what's going on in the world, but I feel so much better. Interesting, hey? And I find it interesting that these, <clears throat> these people in the book of Haggai, the Jewish people, written 500 years before Jesus, felt exactly the same. Not about Instagram, but the same feelings of comparison, discouragement. You know, we're building the temple. And a month in, it's just not going well. It's never going to be as good as Solomon's temple. We're trying our best. 
let's just let's just sack it it's too hard so what can we do about it what does god say He gives them the most loving and simple instructions. And to me, this is one of the reasons I love this book. Because he's just, oh, it's just so good. So let's check out verse four. This is what he says. They're feeling rubbish. And he goes, but now be strong, Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, Joshua, son of Josadak, the high priest. I don't know why he has to like, it's really difficult, isn't it? For people reading this, I wish he'd just called them Zerubbabel and Joshua. I don't know why. He has to, I think it's an identity thing, but it's not helpful for reading out. Be strong, Joshua, son of Josadak, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord. And work, for I am with you, declares the Lord Almighty. This is what I covenanted with you when you came out of Egypt, and my spirit remains among you. Do not fear. So he talks first to the governor then to the high priest, and then to all the people. And he tells them the same thing. Be strong, Zerubbabel. Be strong, Joshua. Be strong, all the people of the land. And get on with what I told you to do in the first place. Be strong and work. So what do you do when you're discouraged or you want to just compare yourself or you find yourself I don't think we choose to compare ourselves or we just find ourselves by default comparing ourselves God says be strong and then he says get on with your orders and work don't give up it's almost like um you know that <laughs> that British thing which seems to appear everywhere now. Like, what is it? Keep calm and carry on. It's on every tea towel mug, anything that you see. Keep calm and carry on. But it's just missing this crucial factor, this keep calm and carry on. And it's that thing in chapter one, verse 13, that he says again and again, for I am with you, declares the Lord. It's okay to keep calm and carry on, but that bit, that bit's like the crucial bit. Don't give up, for I am with you. Be strong, for I am with you, declares the Lord. Because the great news is that since Jesus came, like, oh, so good. Because when you're weak, his strength is made perfect in you. So you you don't have to be strong in your own strength. We've got this, um, we've got this supernatural power, this strength inside us. The same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells within those people who believe. And so when you can't do anymore, when you're given your best, when you think, oh, I just want to give up, that's when you're the perfect candidate for God's strength to kind of rise up in you. You're not doing this on your own. You've got the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, arranging things for you, <coughs> forgiving you, guiding you, comforting you, providing for you. Even in Texas, he's doing that too. So we have this supernatural power that's within us, but we can also do things to help us actually be strong. You know, he's saying, be strong, be strong, be strong. So I was thinking, <clears throat> if I had to look at the people who I 
who I consider to be strong people. What is it that they do that makes them strong? What is it that I'm not comparing? I'm just kind of trying to glean, glean a bit of wisdom. Like what, are the, what is it that they do that makes them so strong? I want to learn from that. So two things that I think they all do. Here it is. Number one, strong people do consistently what normal people do occasionally. So if ever I would need an excuse to talk about how amazing Ben is, I have to tell you, <laughs> he's incredibly strong from his core. And I think this is probably because he does consistently what normal people do occasionally. So strong people spend time with God consistently. They worship when no one's looking. On their own, in their car, in their home. They're strong and they, they know their value because they've spent time with the one who tells them of their worth. Strong people do consistently what normal people do occasionally. Second thing I've noticed in my non-comparison way is um, strong people consistently do the last thing that God tells them to do. There's a, um, there's a saying in the vineyard, old orders are good orders. You might have heard us say this. Old orders are good orders. Life can be tough, like, but don't be flighty. Old orders are good orders. You can stop building the temple when God says stop building the temple. You know, it's not over for your kids, for your church, for your neighbors, for your family, for your marriage, until God says it's over. Old orders are good orders. Be strong and consistently do the last thing that God told you to do. And so finally, what's the result of all this? What's the, what's, you know, what's the point of being strong and getting on with all our last orders? Well, let's just read on to the end of verse 9. This is great, this bit. Just saying. Oh, such a great verse. The glory of this temple... The glory of this present house or the temple will be greater than the glory of the former house, says the Lord Almighty. And in this place, I will grant peace, declares the Lord Almighty. Hmm. So you might be thinking, eh? Like what? The glory of this present house is going to be greater than the glory of the... But that was like Solomon's temple. That was like amazing. How can this be like these foundations, this stuff in front of me how can this be as better like what than that how what are you talking about god that makes no sense but they had no idea the jewish people had no idea that this was actually a foreshadowing of the great new testament truth of his love you see all the way through the old testament what happens in the physical is often a foreshadowing almost of what happens in the spiritual so God shows sometimes, he shows things physically, what he's going to do spiritually. And this is pretty mind-blowing because the glory of this present temple will be greater than the glory of the former temple. What's stunning is that it's actually all about Jesus. Because when we follow Jesus, we, like the Hebrews as well, talks about like our, our bodies are a temple of the Holy Spirit. So we, we, get, to, we get to carry Jesus, which is, an amazing, way more glorious thing than the 
than Solomon's temple ever was. So I think that's stunning. When you serve someone or when you forgive someone or where you choose not to compare with someone, it's like he's being glorified. God's being glorified. So you never have to be discouraged because you're never alone. You've got Jesus in your heart. And so if you don't know him this morning, I would love to just um, introduce you to him because this whole thing of be strong, be strong, be strong. It comes from carrying Jesus in your heart and, and you're never alone. He says, I am with you. And when, um, you know, those three things, be strong is repeated three times and I am with you is repeated twice in Haggai. And um, God repeats things when he wants us to kind of like really know, really know it. If you ever find um, somebody gives a word for you like more than once or twice, you're like, oh, maybe I need to pay attention to that. Like he says this three times, be strong. He says, I am with you twice. Like, why does he need us to know this? So just to wrap up those three things. There's no win in comparison. Don't compare your start with someone else's finish. Be strong. Strong people consistently do what normal people do occasionally. And it sounds so trite. I just felt like Jesus is with you, but that is like the... They're like the thing, right? The glory of this temple is going to be greater than the glory of the former temple. Your life with Jesus is a million squillion times better than without. Well, my life is. So why don't we stand?